Thanks for joining us here at Thrive Church. We're a church passionate about moving people towards Jesus. For more information, go to our website, www.thrivechurch.co.za. Hello, everybody. How's 10 o'clock? Alive and kicking? Awesome, awesome. Did Amy tell the story about the lunchbox? Did you do lunchbox envy? You know that, that lunchbox envy that she's talking about? It's like a real thing. It's not some theoretical thing. I want to tell you a story about my lunchboxes. My, my lunchboxes were very average. And um, there was one guy, he had a, a surname worse than what we did. His surname was Maggot. His name was Stuart Maggot. Stuart Maggot had, Stuart Maggot had the most awesome lunchboxes ever. And he was shaped like one of those white Easter eggs. You know those little round Easter eggs? Because he had such awesome lunchboxes. Which he used, but he also got tuck money every single day of, of his life. And Stuart Maggot used to go to the tuck shop every single day. I used to follow him. <laughs> he used to go to the tuck shop and he used to buy packets of jelly tots. He'd buy them, come out to the, to the playground, cut the top off. I can remember, it's clear as day. You know, those, you know your quads at school, hey? There's like those top. And he would take these packets of jelly tots and he would have them full. And he would chuck them up in the air and they'd fall all over the quad. And I used to go scavenge after them, like just... <laughs> Like grabbing jelly tots and just trying to improve my lunchbox. <laughs> anyway, this week was a very important week. We had our president inaugurated yesterday, and uh, so much hope with that as well. And uh, secondly, did you see our chief justice uh, as he led uh, our people in prayer? Huh? That was awesome. For those of you who might not uh, who might not have seen it, our Chief Justice Mahueng Mahueng, before he put the the, uh, the swearing in ceremony in place, he stopped for a moment and he said, "We're going to pray for three minutes as a parliament." And he said, "And if if some of you, you know, you could see that like these guys, he's like, if you don't know what to pray for, you should pray for the challenges in our country. You should pray for wisdom. You should pray for God to help us." And uh, it was brilliant. It was an awesome moment. So. This is important. And with a man like that, it was a moment of leadership, actually. It was a spiritual leadership that took place. And then he got down on his knees and he prayed. And he was praying prayers in the name of Jesus. Father, would you bless our nation? Would you let righteousness come? Would you, would you uh, remove corruption? This is what he's praying. And you can actually hear it. Next week, I'm going to show you the video clip of it. He's praying it. And then he began to pray in tongues. Isn't that awesome? So thank God for men like that. Hey, and... Uh, It's important that we take these moments, mark them, pray for our country. The church should always be found to be praying and not moaning. So let's continue to pray for our nation. Hey, you say amen. 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 Thanks, everybody. Why don't you quickly turn to somebody, tell them if it wasn't for you, I'd be the best looking person in this church. Just want to quickly give you an update with regards to our vision offering as a church and say thank you, thank you, thank you so much to those of you who have given so generously. So many have given so generously and so faithfully as we continue to press forward. We are 88% of the way towards having received our pledges. Just under 1.4 million rand has come in cash in the bank. So thank you so, so much for those of you who have given. Thank you, may God bless you so richly as, as we look to be able to fund new kids' facilities for our, 
for our kids. It's a great when the kids outgrow the facilities, isn't it? So those of you who haven't been able to pledge yet or haven't fulfilled your pledge, can I ask you to be faithful to that? Can I ask you to be true to your word? Can I ask you to keep trusting God for the finance to be able to do that? Maybe some of you are new to church, uh, came after vision offering. Vision offerings are once a year capital campaign where where as a church we come together and we give at sacrificial levels to see the kingdom move forward. Those of you who are millionaires, give us the money, send it our way. We'll take great care of it. I I guarantee you the investment that that we can put your money to will have eternal rewards, much better than the investment return that you can earn on your money. You can get 6% on a money market. We We can get kids into heaven. So there you go, right? So... Give us all your money, we'll do amazing things with it. Some people say, does the church want my money? Absolutely, because we can do cool things with it, can't we? So, awesome. Are you ready to receive the word this morning? We're in a series, week two of our series called Mastermind. It's a series about the fact that, and and the anchoring thought that I want to give us uh, for the next few weeks is that it is possible for you and I as Christ followers to master our minds. It is possible for us to master our thought lives. We do have a say over, we do have control over what we think about. We can think about what we're thinking about and we can ponder and change what we think. It is possible for us to have a better thought life than what we might have at the moment. It is possible for your thinking to improve. It's not some self-help course. It's not some Dr. Phil mixed with Oprah, mixed with seven steps to what. It's, it's that the Word of God actually renews our mind, Romans 12, 2 tells us. It tells us that as we grow closer to Jesus, as we move towards Christ-likeness, as we be with Him, become like Him, do what He did, He, he changes our thinking. The Holy Spirit actually changes the way we think. And as Christians, as Christ followers, we should be marked by a different way of thinking. Our thinking should be different to people out there. We should be thinking in different areas. We should be thinking at different levels. We should be thinking with different levels of faith in our lives. Can anybody say amen? Amen. A couple of thoughts to recap us. Proverbs 4.23 is kind of an anchor text for us over the next few weeks. Be careful how you think because your life is shaped by your thoughts. The battles of of life are won and lost in the mind, you know. Truly, it's not an exaggeration to say the battles of life are won and lost in our minds. And our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. You can't have a positive life if you have a negative mind. You can't have a positive life if you've got a negative mindset. And if we can change our thinking, we can change our lives. So this week, we're going to speak about how to train our thinking. It is actually possible, like we could go to the gym and physically train our bodies. It's possible to train our brains. Our, our brains are a muscle. We can train the muscle of our minds. Next week, I think it's going to be you know, the favorite of the series, actually. It's how to reframe our thinking. Do you know that the picture, sometimes, who of you have a, fa- a favorite photo or a favorite family photo or something? Uh, sometimes you just need to reframe it in order to be able to remind yourself of what you're seeing. Sometimes we've just got to reframe our thinking. It can make all the difference. How do you reframe your thinking? What does it mean to reframe your thinking? 
Back in 1958, the world considered El Capitan, it's located in the Yosemite National Park in Northern California, the western coast of the United States, Yosemite National Park, they considered El Capitan unclimbable. This was back in the late 1950s. But on June the 3rd, 2017, a man called Alex Honnold did the unthinkable. He climbed El Capitan. It's a 3,000 feet, that's just over one kilometer high, piece of vertical granite wall, he climbed it. Not only did he climb it, he climbed it alone. Not only did he climb it alone, he climbed it with absolutely no rope or supporting mechanism whatsoever. No safety harness, no rope, zip. He climbed it with his hands and feet and a little bag of talcum powder to keep his hands nice and dry. One slip, one mistake, and you're done, right? You know, you don't just climb a granite-faced wall of rock solo. You don't just do that kind of thing. It takes training, right? There's very specific training. Alex had that dream in his mind for 10 years to climb that mountain, and he summited it with ropes and with uh, friends and colleagues. He summited it countless times before he tried it himself. You you train very specifically for something like that. How many of you know that you, you and I, we don't just climb mental mountains. We don't just summit mental mountains. You don't just get to the top of mental mountains just summa sur. You've got to train for it. There's very specific training required if you and I are going to summit and reach the, the, the summit of some of the mental mountains that hold us back. Because we have an enemy of our soul who would bring us down. And he knows that the battles of our life are won and lost in our minds. And if he can take your mind out, he can take your life out. And so you and I, we don't just simply default to healthy God-honoring positive mindsets. We don't simply default to that way of thinking. That's not how we're naturally wired because the devil would use every opportunity to take us out mentally. You and I have got to train. There are specific mental exercises that have to be uh, in place in our lives if we're gonna master our minds. Before I tell you what that, and there's one, there's one specific mental exercise. Before I tell you what it is, I'm gonna ask us the question, what is, it, what is the summit? Like, what's El Capitan in our thought life? What, what does it look like to be at the top of the mountain mentally? What does it look like to get to the very summit? What does it look like to conquer your thoughts? Well, the scripture is actually very clear. Scripture speaks into every important thing in our life. This is no different. Philippians 4 verse 8 tells us. We're going to read it in three versions. First the TPT, then the NLT, and then the New King James Version. The, the P- TPT, the Passion Translation. It says, so keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is, watch the wording here, authentic and real. Keep your thoughts. Keep, keep your thoughts on these things, right? Authentic, real, honorable, admirable, beautiful, respectful, pure, holy, merciful, and kind. The NLT, New Living Translation, says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, Admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. 
go a little bit retro this morning, go to the New King James Version. I feel like the New King James should be like a, did you see, I, I said I feel like, do you see that? I feel like, not I think, I feel like. Um, the New King James Version should like, sort of be read like Winston Churchill would read it, don't you think? Yeah. Finally, brethren, <laughs> whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate. Underline the word meditate if you're taking notes this morning. Remember, you will go to heaven if you take notes. Meditate on these things. Can you imagine for a moment how your life would look, how my life would look, if that's how our thought life was described? I wondered for a moment how, how much different my life would be if my thinking was less overwhelmed, less confused, less insecure, less comparative, less questioning, less doubting, instead of maybe the lies of, I can't go on, nobody cares, I'm not good enough, I'm not sure I can make it, will we have enough, does God come through, I'll never measure up, I'll never be anything, I can't find the right person. Can you imagine if you're thinking and my thinking, instead of those lies, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's holy, whatever's good, whatever's admirable, whatever's praiseworthy, that's El Capitan, my friends. That's the top of the mountain. That our thought life looks like that. Can you imagine your life if your thought life looked like that? That's the top of the mountain. So the question then becomes, how do we train for that? Did you see Alex doing some exercises in that short clip? You see him doing like pull-ups. Listen, I, I, I can't even do one pull-up with, with both hands and, and my feet. <laughs> He's doing pull-ups with the top of his fingertips. Why? Because that's... How, you need to pull yourself up a mountain, so you need to be really good at pull-ups. Guess what? There's one specific mental exercise that every Christ follower should know how to do, that if we do, it builds a strength into your life, that your, your thought life would change fundamentally because you're able to take control of your mind. There's one specific mental, spiritual discipline that every follower of Jesus know, needs to know how to do when it comes to their thought life. And that is the spiritual discipline, the spiritual exercise of meditation. Now, immediately when I mention meditation, you might have... Uh, a Buddha with crossed legs, a candle, some incense, and a, a little sand garden and some bonsai trees in mind. And you might, be, you might be thinking of Eastern kind of meditation. Now, meditation is one of the great gifts that God has given to his, uh, his children. Meditation in the Judeo-Christian, in the biblical sense of it, meditation is very different in fact, in Eastern philosophy and Eastern religion, the encouragement is to meditate by emptying your mind of all thoughts. But in the Western and biblical or Judeo-Christian 
theological sense, meditation is actually very different. It's the exact opposite to Eastern meditation. Whereas Eastern meditation encourages us to empty our minds, Western meditation or or biblical meditation is to fill your mind with the things of God. Now let me give you a definition of meditation so we can all make sure we're on the same page and you're up to speed with what I'm talking about. To meditate means to ponder the word in our hearts, to preach it to our own souls, and to personally apply it in our own lives and circumstances. To meditate means not only to ponder or to think about, but it means to preach it to ourselves and apply it to ourselves. I want you to notice there that meditation is far from being some passive exercise, far from being some emptying exercise. Meditation is actually a very active, a very initiative-filled exercise. There are three components. One is we ponder. Now, there's another definition of, of what it means. It's, it's to muse. You know the word muse? We don't use that word very often these days. In fact, most people here wouldn't know what muse means. A muse means to go, go hmm. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm musing. <laughs> right? To ponder, to think, to meditate, to, to, to dwell on, to think deeply about. To meditate on God's word means to think deeply about it, to preach it back to yourself, and then to apply it to your life. The Hebrew word siach, actually, it, it meditate means to muse and wonder and dwell on, to think about something. Usually, literally, it means actually to mumble or murmur to oneself. You'll see Hebrew rabbis. They'll be standing somewhere and they'll be rocking backwards on their feet and they'll be mumbling. What are they doing? They're not, they're not crazy. Mostly not. <laughs> they're, busy, they're busy reciting God's word, aren't they? They're busy actually repeating God's word. They're reciting the law of God with their mouths. So how do we meditate? How do we meditate on God's word? Well, firstly, we've got to sit and we've got to be quiet and we've got to be alone. Meditation and the spiritual disciplines of silence and solitude go hand in hand. Silence, solitude, and meditation are like the holy trinity of this kind of discipline, right? Are you with me? That you've, you've got to have silence you, and you've got to have solitude and then you dive into God's word. You've got, to, you've got to ask your spouse to leave you alone for a little while. You've got to shut your kids, lock them in a cupboard somewhere if you need to. <laughs> lock them out the house, do whatever you've got to do. But you, you've, got to, you've got to have some time by yourself. Are you with me this morning? And then we dive into God's word. Now I want to give you a, a, a model for reading God's word meditatively. Notice this model is different to if you're on a Bible reading plan where you're reading a portion of Scripture every single day and you're trying to maybe read through the Bible the whole year, this, is not, this model will not work if you're trying to read large amounts of Scripture every day. If you're reading large amounts of Scripture every day, by all means, carry on. But when it comes to this model, you're going to have to pick a, a short passage of Scripture and you're going to have to work with it. You're going to have to need it. You're going to have to get your hands dirty uh, in it. Are you with me this morning? I want to give you it's a South African model of meditation. It's called the SIPO model. S-I-P-O. I know it's missing an H, but I didn't have an H for this one, so it's just, okay. 
So it's just steeple. S-I-P-O, right. You'll, you'll never forget it. You'll say, what are you going to do? I'm going to steeple God's word today. <laughs> Firstly, we read the word of God slowly. Slowly. You know why you read it slowly? Because it's big. Let me illustrate what I mean by that statement. Do you remember Gulliver's Travels? Anybody here really educated and ever read Gulliver's Travels? Please, Jesus, let there be some educated people in this world. Thank you. Yes, now the hands go up, you see. I'm educated. Gulliver's Travels, great book. Written in 1735. How's that for a classic? Imagine writing a book and 250 something years later, people are still reading your book. Isn't that amazing? But in Gulliver's Travels, there's this big guy, it's a fantasy story, big guy called Gulliver, and he arrives at this little island, and he arrives at this island, and these guys are like little, little mini-me's, like, like tiny little dudes. They're like 10 centimeters high. And he arrives on the island of Lilliput, and these little people are called the Lilliputians. They're tiny little people. And, and the first time that they see Gulliver, they can't bring themselves to go near. Why? Because he's bigger than anything they've ever seen before. So they, they stand their distance and they approach slowly because they're not quite sure what's in the sleeping giant. They're not quite sure what the sleeping giant, when awoken, can do. Are you getting my meaning this morning? God's word is a sleeping giant in many of our lives. And we approach it slowly because we're not sure what the sleeping giant is capable of once we wake it up. But I can tell you, when you wake it up, it'll, it'll, it'll challenge you. It'll comfort you. It'll stimulate. It'll, it'll, it'll change your thinking. It'll wreck you in all the right ways. You go slowly because it's big. I don't just open our Bibles and go, all right, done, no. No, you come, we come slowly. We come reverently. We come, we come in awe that the God who breathed our universe into existence put his word down for us to read. So we come slowly. Then we come imaginatively. What do I mean by that? We imagine ourselves in the text. So if we're reading about blind Bartimaeus, we are Bartimaeus in that story. If we're reading about Jonah running from God's plan and calling his purpose, guess what? We're that guy. We're Jonah. If we're the little boy with the lunch that comes to Jesus with what he's got, we're that boy and that's our lunch. You with me? Put yourself, if it's Isaiah weeping over his nation, we're that Isaiah, we're that guy, we're that woman weeping over our nation. If it's Moses at a burning bush, God says, take your shoes off. He's standing on a holy, we're that person. We're, Mo, we're Moses in that moment. I tell you, it'll change the way you read scripture. It'll, it'll, it'll make scripture come alive. It'll be, it'll be like the story will leap off the page for you. It'll be like you've been reading it in black and white. All of a sudden, it's technicolor. So we come to it slowly, then we read it imaginatively. The P in Sipo stands for prayerfully. We simply ask God the question as we read his word, what do you want me to know from this? What do you want me to know from what I'm reading? And the O stands for obediently. 
what is it you want me to do? What are you calling me to do from this text that I've read? What is it that my life needs to start to do? Maybe it's something to start, maybe it's something to stop. But obediently, because James tells us, the book of James, the apostle James, he tells us, read God's word and apply it and you'll be wise. But read it and just hear it. Like if you just hear it, and you don't do anything with it, you're foolish. You're a fool. You're worse than somebody who's never heard it. You're, you're an idiot, is what he's saying. So you read it obediently. We read it obediently. Are you with me? Slowly, imaginatively, prayerfully, obediently. Can I give you a, a living kind of working example that we'll work through this morning together? Is that Okay. Proverbs 5 verse 12. I'm going to seep all this text for us. Is that okay? Proverbs 5 verse 12 in the Passion Translation. And then finally, you'll admit that you were wrong and say, if only I had listened to wisdom's voice and not stubbornly demanded my own way because my heart hated to be told what to do. All right, I'm going to, I'm going to go through this. Yes, I'm going to go through. I'm going to approach God's word slowly now. I'm not going to rush through it. I'm not going to think I've got 10 chapters to get through today. I'm going to, I'm going to stay here and see what God wants to say to me. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit breathe on this word and see what it is that he gives us. And then finally, 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 right? It's amazing how we need finallys in our lives. I wish we didn't need finallys. I'll admit that I was wrong and I'll say, God, I wish I didn't have to get to a point where I finally admit. God, why is it it takes me so long to admit I was wrong? Why is it that your word has to tell me finally you'll admit? Why aren't I quicker to admit that I'm wrong? Why is it that you have to remind me in your word that I'm, I'm finally, how many finallys have there been in my life? Why are there so many finallys? And then your word says, and then you'll say, it's amazing to me, it's remarkable to me that after I've admitted I'm wrong, then I have to say something. I see a model that you're teaching us there, Lord. That after we admit we're wrong, we say something. Why is it that I find it so hard to finally admit? And once I finally admit it, why is it that I find it even harder to say I admit? Some of us, we, yeah, but my spouse knows I'm sorry. I'm sorry in my heart. You've got to say it. Could it be that God's teaching us just in this one little phrase? that there's a finally an admission and then there's a verbalization of what it is that we've done wrong. When last did you verbalize? God, when, when last did I verbalize that I'm wrong? If only I had listened to wisdom's voice, immediately I surface, regret surface of things that I did where if I'd listened to wisdom's voice, maybe I wouldn't have. Immediately I wondered to myself, hey, 
There's so many wise voices that I could be listening to. Wisdom has a voice. Do you know wisdom has a voice? It speaks to us. Wisdom speaks to me. Why is it that I, I battle so to listen to wisdom's voice? Why is it that there's so many wise voices and yet I don't want to listen to so many wise voices? What is, it, what is it in God's word that's wise and wisdom has a voice through his word? And why is it that I sometimes don't want to listen to it? In fact, why is it that when I'm in my worst time, I run furthest from wisdom? Are you like that? You know, when we're going through the worst time of our lives, that's when we turn our back on wisdom. Why? Because our heart hates to be told what to do. And so finally, you'll admit you're wrong. Say, if only I'd listened to wisdom voice and not stubbornly demanded my own way. Oh, why am I so stubborn? Why do I demand my own way? I wonder what would happen if I didn't demand my own way but requested my own way. I wonder about those moments when I demand my own way. Why do I demand my own way? Is it certain times that I demand my own way? If so, when is it that I demand my own way? So I can start to see when I demand my own way. Imagine I didn't live my life demanding my own way. Imagine I requested my own way. Or better yet, imagine I, instead of my own way, I, I built my life around others' way. I wonder why it is that I default to my own way so easily. Are you guys tracking with me this morning? He goes, ah, oh, I can tell you why. Because my heart hated to be told what to do. You know it's our hearts that hate to be told what to do. You know that? When you, who here, who here, quicker, who here loves to be told what to do? No. Therefore, by default, you muchus, I could ask you the other way around. <laughs> Everyone here would put their hand up to say, who here hates to be told what to do? Some of you aren't confused by yourselves. <laughs> I, I counsel people. They say, hey, what do you think I should do? I, offer, I say, uh, let me offer you this. I can see they're going, ah, no, 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 I'm going to do it. And guess what? I know why. Because their heart hates to be told what to do. My heart hates to be told what to do. Immediately when I thought about this, I thought, you know, my parents wanted me to go to boarding school, I think, because... My heart hated to be told what to do. So they're like, maybe boarding school, they'll tell you what to do and you'll listen. So then I went and looked at boarding school and I thought, but here they tell you what time you can eat dinner. Nah, I don't want to be told what to do. No, nah, I'm not going to boarding school because I don't even want, I don't, who are you to tell me what time I can eat dinner? <laughs> you see, that's why we need the army so they can make us all. <laughs> you with me? As you look at that, just these few minutes, just these few minutes. What I'm proposing is not something where you need hours. I'm saying if you spent a few minutes every day in God's word and you went into his word slowly, if you went through it into his word imaginatively, if you went into it prayerfully and obediently. So now I ask myself prayerfully, God, what do you want me to know? Shish came to me like, quick, quick. You're a stubborn fool. That's what I got. Like, you're a stubborn muhu. You're stubborn. Anybody else stubborn? If your husband or wife's sitting next to you, just look straight ahead at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I 
obediently. God, what do you want me to do? Guess what? I've got five things just like that. Why do you wait for the finalies? God said to me. Why do you wait for the finalies? Why can't it be? And immediately, you'll admit that you were wrong. Why, why do I wait for finalies? Why can't I substitute immediately, substitute finally with immediately? If only I'd listen to was, who are the voices I should listen to more? Why do I demand my own way? Imagine a life where I didn't demand my own way, but I requested the way of others or offered the way of others. Are you with me? And obediently. Um, sorry, because my heart hated to be told what to do. God changed my heart so that I, I don't hate to be told what to do. Change, change, change me to somebody wise so that I'm, there's not so many finalies in my life. Now, I don't know about you guys, but honestly, when I read that and I work through it like that, I feel like heart surgery has been done on me. Do you feel like that? Do you like, sheesh, God's changed my heart here. Yeah. We give you four benefits of meditating on God's word and how it trains our minds. You ready to go? It's gone so quiet in this Presbyterian church. Are you all just pondering? Are you meditating? Is there silence because you like silence? Number one, meditating on God's word will give us spiritual success. What does spiritual success mean? It, God, it means that we get... We know God more. What's the definition of spiritual success? That we would be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. What's the definition of spiritual success? We'll get to heaven's gates one day, and, and Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come now and enter your rest and receive your reward. Instead, I fear that some of us are going to get to heaven, and Jesus is going to go, but I never knew you. And there's going to be a separation of sheep and goats. And chaff and wheat. He's going to go, but I never knew you. Yeah, 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 but I was in church, Jesus. I even came in July when it was the coldest, you know. He's going, yeah, but your heart never changed. You sat in the pew week after week after week after week. You never gave to the poor. You never served your fellow brothers or sisters. You never gave generously to anything. You never got involved in a, a life group to give yourself to. You just sat and yeah, yeah, but I listened to your word every week. Yeah, but Jesus is going to go, you got fat on my word. You became like a, you became like a buffet Christian. <laughs> I say it like buffet because that's the way they do it in America. You're going to the buffet after church. You know what that is? You receive, you receive the word every single week, but it's just like you're getting Sunday lunch every single day of your life. You just get fat. And you sit there full of God's word, no earthly use to anybody. I think spiritual success is, he says, hey, I, I knew you. You were with me and you became like me and you did what I did. That's the definition of what it means to be a disciple. Be with him. Become like him. Do what he did. Joshua was told by God, study this book of the law continually. Meditate on it. Meditate. And then the promise was you'll have success. Meditating on God's word will help you to keep your heart right before him. 
Um, Hebrews 4.12 reminds us that God's word is living and active. It says it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing joints and marrow, soul and spirit. Judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I don't know about you, but when I just work through that passage now as we did so together, I, I've, it's, it's like my heart's gone true north again, you know? It's kind of like it veers off course with the hardship and the difficulty of life and the disappointment of life. And sometimes, it, and we just, we just need it brought back. Hey, yeah, it's true north again. Keeps your heart right. Guess what? Meditating on God's word, allowing it to change, allowing the Holy Spirit to breathe on you. What does it do? It just brings life. It brings peace. It brings purpose. And it brings your heart back to right thinking. Number three, meditating on God's word will give you insight and wisdom that will guide you at every turn in your life. Psalm 119 tells us, it says, I have more insight, this won't be on the screens, but it says, I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more insight than all the teachers, why? Because I meditate. What makes you wise? Meditating on God's word. Number four, meditating on scripture will help you to fill your mind with the things of God. In other words, let me circle right back to where I began with us. This morning, Philippians 4.8 will become a reality and not a wish list in your life. Whatever things are true, noble, pure, excellent, praiseworthy, holy, these things. That guess, guess what happens when you've begun to meditate on God's word? All of a sudden, you start, your thought life starts to think, look differently. All of a sudden, you look back a year ago and you realize, hey, my thought life now, it used to be 20% um, dodgy. Now it's only 10%. You know, you're with me. I thought about a way I could illustrate it to you and thought maybe this would help. Uh, this glass beaker that we have over here is our minds. It's filled with dodgy thoughts. See the dodgy thoughts? The little ping pong balls are dodgy thoughts. But God's word is available to us. And anytime we meditate on it, God's word gets poured into our lives. Notice that God's word is pure. Notice that it brings life. What does water do? It brings life. The moment... You water something, what happens? Life springs up. You know, I wonder what life could spring up in your heart if you would simply begin to meditate on his word. If you'd let it go down into it, it would bring some, some roots and it would start to grow some stuff in our lives. So what happens when we meditate on God's word is we go slowly. We approach it slowly. And imaginatively. Right? And prayerfully. And obediently. Guess what happens? The weight of God's word begins to push out the stuff that's been in our lives. It literally forces us out. And then we see Philippians 4, 8. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are pure, whatever things are excellent, whatever things are praiseworthy, whatever things are of good report, think on these things. Guess what? That becomes a habit and not a wish list. But it only happens when we meditate on his word. You know, when you're training for um, stuff like comrades, gym, it's not only what you do with your body, it's what you put into your body that counts. You know, Pastor Candice and I are on, the, on a, like a diet now. We, we're on a diet plan. We're on a, an eating plan. It's torture. <laughs> Unmitigated torture. I'm having fantasies of salt and vinegar chips. <laughs> Philippians 4, 8, whatever things are salt and vinegar chips, think on these things. That's what I'm thinking about. <laughs> it got so bad, we were coming back from the car train station yesterday, 
past a little shell garage where when I was in the corporate hall, they used to go Santon and back every day on the car train. Used to come back and get my car, drive from the station, got to the shell garage. They used to sell these amazing salt and vinegar, um, not chips, they were sticks, thick sticks, flavored, lots of flavoring on them. You know, like when you can lick it off your fingers, like that, oil mm. on your mouth. I was telling my family, I said, guys, that's where I used to go for my salt and vinegar sticks. And now they don't sell them anymore. And now I'm on a meal plan. <laughs> but it's not what we do with our bodies only. It's what we put into our bodies. Guess what? It's not what we do with our minds only. It's what we put into our minds. And what I'm trying to say to us is that meditating on God's word, we do something with his word and we put his word into our minds. And it begins to change us. And the Holy Spirit breathes on our lives and he changes your thinking. And before you know it, in a year's time, two years time, three years, 10 years, 15 years, all of a sudden, guess what? You're thinking differently. Shall we pray together? Shall we do that? Father, this morning we want to give you our thoughts. Lord, we want our thoughts to be God-honoring. We want our thoughts to be life-giving. We want our thoughts to be in line with your heart. And I pray, we pray, Lord, a simple but faithful prayer, each one of us this morning. Help us to respond meaningfully to your word this morning. Help us to meditate on your word in these next few weeks and months. Help us to apply your word to our lives. Help us not to be hearers, foolish people who just hear it and then do nothing with it. But help us to apply it. This morning would be my great privilege to invite you to respond to Jesus this morning. You know, the, the Bible says that um, God's word renews our minds. You know the way that happens here? It's very important to explain to you how this happens. The moment we make a decision to follow Christ, the moment we make a decision to open our hearts and invite him into our lives, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is given as a deposit. It's almost like God deposits a deposit in the bank. Guess what? It's the Holy Spirit that gets deposited into our lives. And from that moment on, He begins to work in our lives. He begins to live and breathe in our lives. He begins to change us and mold us and shape us. And He begins to change your thinking. What I'm saying to us, church, is this, and it's vitally important. That you cannot change your thinking unless you follow Jesus. So this morning, if you want to respond and say yes to following Jesus, Scripture says that He stands at the door of our hearts and He knocks and He waits for us to say yes. If you want to open the door of your life to Him this morning, the Spirit of God, the Christ in us, will come in and take residence in your life and He will begin to live and breathe in your life. And your life will never be the same ever again. So this morning, it would be my privilege to invite you to respond. In just a moment, when I get to three, I'm going to ask you just to slip up your hand and say, yes, that's me. It might be that this morning you're coming back. Maybe you've spent some time away from God or feeling far from God. Maybe you've been on your own mission, but today is a day of coming back. Regardless of where you are, when I get to three, I'm going to 
going to ask you to respond by slipping up your hand. The only reason I count to three is so that everybody's clear on when that moment of response should be. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to identify you. I'm not going to do anything weird to you. I'm simply going to say thank you. God bless you, and I'm going to include you in my prayer. So you're ready to respond this morning. There's wonderful faith in this place. All across this place, people are going to respond. You could be one of them. Ready on the count of three. Here we go. One, two. This is your moment now. Three. Yes, yes. God bless you guys up in the balcony. God bless you, sir. Yeah, just keep your hands up so I can see you. God bless you. Yes, yes, so many. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you guys. Yes. God bless you guys down here in the front. Yes, this side. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. So, so many people come. Thank you at the back. God bless you. Balcony up in the top. I can see you. Thank you. Yes, thank you up in the balcony. Great. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, ma'am, at the back. God bless you. I can see you. Isn't God good? Those of you who have responded this morning, what we do as a church is this. We love you, and that's why we come around you, and we're gonna, we pray all together. Our whole church verbalizes, because the Bible says that it's with a belief in our heart and the confession of our mouths that we are saved. So as a church, we like to come alongside and support. So that's why all of us in 10 o'clock are going to pray. And we're going to give words to what might be going on in your heart this morning. So come, let's pray together, church. Let's say, Father God, thank you so much for your great love and your great mercy. Jesus, this morning, I come to you. I say yes to you. I invite you into my life. I ask you to take control, to take the driver's seat. I say sorry. I repent of anything that's not been good for me. I repent of my own way. And I ask you to forgive me in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Come church, come, let's cheer. Like, let's, honestly, let's give God some praise and some thanks. This message was recorded live at Thrive Church. We hope that it inspired you to move towards Jesus.